The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. The Book of Jonah, fact or fiction? Uh, I'm telling you, we've had a lot of discussion about that in theology over the years. Uh, Alex and I think we come down on the same side, and that would be fact. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarlane, and it's our joy to be going through the prophets, the kings, and kingdoms. And we're taking a day and looking at each one of the prophets, at least the minor prophets. We took more than that in the major prophets. But we're looking at Jonah today. And Alex, when I see this, this book is probably outlined as well as any. Uh, Someone has said in chapter 1, it is Jonah and the storm. Chapter 2, Jonah and the fish. Chapter 3, Jonah and the city. And in chapter 4, Jonah and the Lord. Uh, that is one way to look at it, but it is Jonah uh, not wanting to do God's will, but praise the Lord for a second chance. But then <laughs> sometimes success doesn't bring happiness. Success brings sadness, and that was mm. the case with Jonah, wasn't it? Well, absolutely, and Bert, it's great to be with you, and we uh, welcome everybody to Exploring the Word I've, I've really looked forward to this in our studies of prophets, kings, and kingdoms to get to the minor prophet Jonah. Uh, interesting, I mean, think about this, Bert, less than 50 verses in the book of Jonah, four chapters, and yet one of the most famous biblical stories, one of the most famous biblical figures, in fact, the only Old Testament figure that Jesus compared himself to. Exactly. Yeah, Matthew 12. It is. Matthew 12. As the prophet Jonah was in the belly of the well uh, three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the center of the earth for three days. So it is, Alex. Great point. It's it's interesting, folks. Um, One of the things, uh, the word big, the most repeated word in this book, the word big, B-I-G, occurs 14 times. Isn't that something? You know, um, a big storm, a, a big fish, a big task. There's a lot in there that's big. What's interesting Uh, And, Bert, I want to throw it to you. You know, when you talk about Jonah, obviously Jonah and the great fish or the whale, um, that's kind of famous. But Jewish people read the book of Jonah on Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom Kippur is the the Day of Atonement. Now, we know as, as a Christian believer that the atonement for sin was paid for by Jesus on Calvary's cross. And what's interesting... Um, the the main focal point of this book, I mean, we could discuss what it is. It's not the miracle of surviving three days and nights in the belly of a fish. I mean, I, I think the book of Jonah is about redemption and the grace of God. And I, I just think it's really interesting that Jewish people read this uh, when they commemorate God's atonement. And I, I, our prayer for all people of course, is that they would know the one who is our atonement, Jesus. And so they read it on Yom Kippur, which I think is just so interesting. It is. And Jonah is a historical figure. He's talked about in the book of Kings. And and Jonah is that prophet. And uh, 
Another word besides the big great or big is the word prepared. God prepared each one of these. God had it prepared and ready. And so I I love that word. I could not help but think of John 14 when he goes to prepare a place for us. And uh, that place that's prepared for us is heaven, and it's specially prepared with us in mind. And so God had prepared this storm, this fish, uh, the vine, uh, the worm. God had prepared all of those to to help Jonah understand, uh, if, if you want to put it on a personal basis, to understand the character of God. Now, you know, we, as you said, the greatest miracle was, again, not the fish and the man surviving it, but a whole city repenting and turning to God. It's probably the biggest one-day, quote, one-day revival that uh, we've ever heard of, Alex. Well, amen. Uh, I, that's true. And, you know, what's interesting, i got to tell you, I think I see myself in Jonah, maybe all Christians, because, you know, there's you know, the, the, the giving of a call, resistance to a call, running from a call, then the complications of disobedience, then grudgingly obeying a call. And then when God blesses and God, you know, gives the fruit and the repentance, I mean, this is a miracle. It is. The people of Nineveh believe, this is in chapter 3, 5 and following, massive outpouring of God's Spirit, well, Jonah's not grateful, you know. He's and so the, knew, the fickle God. I knew you'd do this. I knew you'd get soft and forgive these Ninevites, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you know. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but um, the last couple of verses are very poignant and moving. But the fickle heart of one of God's children. Hot, cold, on again, off again, obedient, disobedient. I mean, is is that not a picture of most Christians, ourselves included, sometimes? It is, Alex. And again, read Jonah on a personal basis, not just a historical. Uh, again, we read it to, I, I'd hate to say this, teach our children, and it's kind of entertaining. I remember with our three sons, I would play the whale, and they would play Jonah, and, I, you know, they would come out, and I'd grab them up, acting like I'd swallowed them and carry and then throw them up. And uh, it, yeah. was, it, it was fun to play that part. So it's great to re- look at Jonah. But, again, he is, arise, go to Nineveh. That great yeah. city, cry out against it. Their wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, chapter 1, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the yes. presence of the Lord. Now, what a statement, from the presence of the Lord. Alex, do you and, really think Jonah thought he could get away from the presence of God? Well, probably, at least for a moment, because, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, disobedience causes us to think irrationally. But notice in verse 2, arise, in other words, get up. But he went down yep. to Joppa. Hey, when you're in a state of obedience, you're you're moving on up. But when you're running from God, the pathway is always down. Do you, do you see the directional kind of words here? Yeah. And so he found a ship going to Tarsus. He paid the fare. All right, disobedience always has a cost attached to it, doesn't it? He had to 
Uh, and let me say, he's going to pay dearly. And he went down into it to go with him to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. Now, I doubt many of us would say, hey, I want to get away from the presence of God. But disobedience is always away from the presence of God, isn't it? It is. It's, he is getting away from God's purpose for his life at that point. Uh, he is calling, and he did not want it again, running from God. And there's a lot of us that have done that for a while. Uh, it may not have been as, you know, persistent as Jonah. Verse 4 has a great verse. You know, it's there that, that conjunction again. Always look for those conjunctions. Always. And, but, or. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty or big tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. And, and so, Alex, God, a storm. You, you, this is so important. Look at the storms that occur out on the sea. Uh, this is a storm that Jonah could uh, sleep through because he was so away from God. Jesus, in the storm that came on the Sea of Galilee, he could sleep through it because he was at so peace with God. You know, uh, th there's that storms that come. Uh, this storm has purposes. Do you think the storms oh, yeah. in our lives many times has a purpose? Yes, and and you know what? That's why we we trust God even in the midst of the storms. Because listen, there there's no storms without uh, a purpose and and a design, and we can trust God in that. Um, I've always thought about this. You know, even like when Abraham disobeyed God, and uh, some of the people in Abraham's life and Egyptians that were pagans, they realized that. He was a man of God in a state of disobedience. Well, it's like that on the ship. They're having the storm at sea, and so the captain in verse 6 wakes Jonah up. Hey, get up, sleeper. What are you doing? You know, call on God. Well, one by one, they realized that Jonah was in the state of disobedience. He said, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Verse 9, Bert, um, by the way, uh, he says, I'm a Hebrew, Jonah. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. It doesn't really look like it, does he? <laughs> hey, you know, your, your uh, speech betrayeth thee, Jonah. <laughs> and, and so here's these pagan men on a sailing ship, verse 10 and following. They're like, uh, we got to get rid of you. Goodness, your disobedience is going to cost us our lives. They, they said, what have you done this? Here's my point. Isn't it convicting when the lost people... Uh, seem more concerned about sin than the follower of God. Oh, man, what a word, Alex. And those men did not want to throw him overboard. They had a they had a conscience. You know, verse 13, yeah, yeah. the men rode hard to bring the ship to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord. Notice the plural, they. Who is that? That's the mariners. That's the sailors. And yes. said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge <laughs> us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Uh, this storm and Jonah's, let me say, uh, backward testimony. <laughs> you know, You know what I mean, backward testimony. Uh, has convinced them that he is the God who made the sea and the dry land. And yes. and they're praying to him. But, 
you know, the question is how much will your sin cost others, you know? Well, you, you know, it's interesting in verse 16, like you said, the mariners, uh, they throw Jonah overboard, and immediately the sea ceased from rage, raging. Then the mirrored, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And I wonder if those men were praying, Lord, if you'll save me, I'll never do like that guy. <laughs> now, now here's the thing, and, and let me... Bert, you correct me if I'm wrong here. When you're a Christian and you follow the true and living God, and then he puts a call on your life, there will be, when God has a call on your life, he will use you, but maybe not in a good way, maybe in a bad way. Sadly, Jonah's ministry was already impacting lives, and he was in a state of disobedience. That's how powerful and wise God is. God, God will use you for his glory. Now, he would like to use you for your good and blessing. But I think about a year and a half ago, there was a very famous Christian leader that fell, and a lot of fallout came from that. And there were, I was talking to a couple of people that called me that were very shaken up by this. And they, they said, you know, well, I'm never going to let something like that mar my testimony. And if there's any good that came out of something bad, it's that people made a commitment to never do like that. It might be that way among these sailors regarding Jonah. Great point, Alex. And we're going to continue in the book of Jonah. When we get back, we're studying him, the man himself, and the book that is about him. We'll be back with more of Exploring the Word right after the break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for David Pekoski, Administrator of the Transportation Safety Administration. His agency oversees the security of the traveling public in the United States. Deuteronomy 31.8 reminds us of the protection we seek from God as we travel. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for David Pekoski as he works to ensure safe travel in our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. When God feels far away, we sometimes start wondering if He's really as powerful as we once thought. But Dr. Tony Evans says power isn't the problem. What is? We'll find out as we spend two minutes with Tony. Some years ago, I had a problem in my lawn. My sprinkler system was not working, so my green grass was becoming brown. I called the sprinkler company over and I said, I'm not getting power. The power is not working, so my sprinkler is not coming on. Then much to my chagrin, they began digging up my lawn. They began going deeper in my lawn. It was not a pretty picture because they're digging my lawn. But then they told me, we have discovered your problem. 
your line is disconnected. So you're not getting the power that's available to you. And because of my connection problem, it looked like I had a power problem. Because once they fix the connection, we experience the power. See, many of us think we have a power problem when God's saying what you really have is a connection problem. You will be strengthened by the Spirit of God with power, but it starts with the inner man. So it is to the degree that you're going deeper spiritually that you experience greater power, the kingdom of God from heaven visiting you in history. Even if you've never set foot in the church, you can have that connection with God today. It's a free gift. To find out more, visit TonyEvans.org and click on the link that says Jesus. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. We are in the book of Jonah. The name Jonah, by the way, means dove. And you know, in the New Testament, of course, the Spirit of God is uh, compared to a dove. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended. And we're going to see the Spirit of God work in the lives of people, the, the lives of the Ninevites, but even in Jonah himself. And so we welcome you back to Exploring the Word. Alex and Bert here. So honored that you're listening as we go through the book of Jonah. Uh, Bert, uh, before the break, we were talking about how the the men took vows. And verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, Jonah 1.17, Bert, that has got to be one of the most interesting, fascinating, significant verses in the Old Testament. Would you agree? It would be, and what makes it most significant is Jesus telling about that, and again, relating himself to that as the prophet Jonah. And the whole idea of this great fish, Jesus would call it a whale. And uh, there's been evidence of people that's been swallowed by sperm whales. I was reading all about that before I did the program today. Uh, Many years, several incidents, and some of them just proven of it, it, that a sperm whale could uh, swallow uh, sharks even that's been in their belly that's mm. a lot larger than a than a man and uh so this is the whole idea that jonah was in the belly of the fish that three days and three nights is an idiom again a part of the first day a part of the third uh, day would uh first and third day would make that uh true as it was with jesus in the in the tomb so yes that sets us up for chapter two notice what happened now, verse 17, it starts with now, 
verse chapter two, verse one starts with then because <laughs> now God, and then. Yeah, now and then. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Alex, mm. how we a lot of times we've got to be taken down before we look up, don't we? Well, you know, he finds himself in the belly of a fish, and he's probably thinking, you know, Nineveh wouldn't be so bad. You know, the the more I think about it, I have always wanted to see Nineveh this time of year. Lord, if you would help me. And uh, God is merciful. God is merciful. And by the way, you know, in Matthew 16, that's when Jesus, if you want to find out one of the places where the connection between Jonah and Jesus is, Matthew 16, where Jesus says, the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, just like Jonah is going to survive and emerge alive from three days and nights in the belly of the fish, the Lord Jesus is going to resurrect from the grave, and, and he did. But verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The, the fish was more obedient than the prophet initially there. Hey, the Lord had spoken to the preacher, and it took a little bit of persuasion. But have you ever thought about this? Um, Humanity, we're we're the only part of God's creation that doesn't initially do what we were designed to do. I mean, the Bible says that the stars, the heavens, the earth, the planets give glory to God. The, The leaves of the trees clap their hands in praise to God. Even animals, and God had to tell Israel, says, you know, the the livestock knows the feed trough and the barn, but you don't know my name. Honestly, folks, now, sure, there, there are a lot of people that love the Lord from childhood up. Praise God. Some people come to Christ only after running, and look, if you're running from God, the only one you're doing harm to is yourself, really. But wouldn't it be good if we would yield to the Lord the first time that he calls, wouldn't it be good, Bert, if God only had to tell us something once? Mm. And because we love him and because we trust him, we would obey him. Alex, uh, I praise God for what happened in chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That is grace. That is all grace. Saying, and notice the words, chapter 3, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you, that sounds kind of familiar, very, very much like the first first calling. Uh, in its own, yeah. Verse 2 of chapter 3 yeah. is identical to verse 2 of chapter 1. Yeah, So, but the response is different this time. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, not to, <laughs> yeah. not to Joppa to go to Tarshish, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city of three-day journey in extent, go around it. Some people think go around it or go through it, but it's a great city. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Notice what happened in verse 5, one of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, mm. Alex, wow. that's, that's powerful. We believe God. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, um, the the Bible talks a lot about uh, sowing and reaping. And listen, um, 
to plow hard ground is not easy, and to get a seed to germinate in dry, parched ground is not easy. But there are times when the, the people's heart is right, the Spirit of the Lord is moving, the church is being used. When all these things come together, the message to the people at the right time by obedient followers of the Lord, that's what I see there in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. It was a move of God, and it was a thorough move of God touched all of culture, and oh my goodness, how I wish we would have something like this in Lord, the United States. Lord, do it again. Do it again. Yes. Notice verse 6, the word came to the Lord. Now, go back and preach the word, the word that I gave you. Notice verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Then verse 6, the word came to king, the king of Nineveh. Preach the word instant and out and in season. You know, the word of God. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published it throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God, the same God that the, the sailors were we're calling out to yes let everyone turn from his evil way from the violence that is in his hands who can tell if god will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that he may not perish now uh alex this is intercession the king interceding for his country at leading by example doing those things believing the word of god uh, again that that might happen in the United States, not just in the United States, but in many countries around the world, brother. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? By the way, the king of Nineveh, he had some revelation. He knew some things about God. Um, you know, uh, so don't eat. He's calling for a fast. Um, be covered with sackcloth, man and beast. That's humility before God. Sackcloth was not fine linen. Uh, very rough, cry to God, turn from evil ways. In other words, turn from the violence in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent? If we repent, God will relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I mean, I'm seeing in the prayer and the outcry of this pagan king that there was a lot of knowledge he had about God. Uh, and so God hears, God responds, because God is merciful. Verse 10 says God relented from the disaster that was going to come. He did not do it. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Bert, I just can't get my mind around it, but it's there it is. It is, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and now, he now, became wait, angry. Wait, wait. <laughs> so, so the evangelist preaches, people respond, lives are changed, and he was unhappy about that. Uh, help me understand this. What what might have been going on in the heart of Jonah that he would be angry at one of the greatest revivals in the pages of Scripture? I'm going to give you two words and see if they fit. One is hatred. The other one is fear. Uh, the hatred that he had toward the Ninevites was real. 
but he just, I'm going to obey God. I don't care. I got to obey God rather than be swallowed up by fish. Secondly, fear. Fear that the Ninevites would grow stronger. They were enemy, sworn enemies of Israel, and they one day would destroy. And he looked forward to them being destroyed so they would not be a danger anymore. That is the possibility. That's the only way I can get my mind around this because Jonah had this this anger and fear. Now, Alex, I want to take that just a little further, and we'll jump into more in a moment. But those two things can cause so much damage in a follower of Jesus Christ. Bitterness, unforgiveness. Listen, it'll eat you away. And secondly, fear. It will cause you to make mistakes. Sometimes it paralyzes you, makes you run away. So do not let those two uh, uh, sins control your life. I believe they were in Jonah's life at that time. Well, let me make this a little practical. And if I'm if I'm speaking out of school here, Bert, you correct me. But all right, we might read this and say, "Well, I would never do that." Goodness, the revival came and Jonah was angry, but I would never do that. All right, what about this, folks? Well, everybody everybody's talking about winning young people to Christ and how the church is, you know, falling away. Um, what if you change the music in your church? And maybe it's not your forte, because maybe like me, I grew up on Fanny Crosby singing Blessed Assurance and, you know, He Hideth My Soul. I grew up with a hymn book. But what if you change the music in your church to more contemporary stuff and it filled the church and young people got saved? But you said, I don't like it because this, this is not my music. But yet, maybe we accommodate a change so that we can reach this generation. Um, Bert, do you see what I'm saying? I've um, I've talked to many people, and we want the lost saved, but not if it means changing or inconveniencing me. Alex, I have observed it, and uh, uh, listen, it is not right. It is that's an attitude that you need to repent of, and uh, there's a difference in a style and and it being biblical and and something that is unbiblical we're not talking about unbiblical at all but we are talking about songs that do praise the lord that do teach but they're different and they they don't use the hymn book they use powerpoint so anyway but notice what happens in verse three therefore now lord he pray he prays again you remember he prayed Mm -hmm. Uh, when he was in the belly of the fish, and now he prays again, Therefore, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I'd, <laughs> I'd rather die than to see these Ninevites spared. Alex, Wow, that's, that's strong um, stuff. I, that is the hatred, the bitterness, the unforgiveness that God just detests. And what God says, is it right for you to be angry? Now that... That's a great rhetorical question. A rhetorical question is one where the answer is really obvious, and of course the answer is no. It's, it's, it's not right for Jonah to be angry. In fact, it's wrong. He's in the wrong. But he went out of the city. Now remember, he had gone into the city in verse 3 of chapter 3. Now he goes out of the city. And again, just like in chapter 1, he's going away from God, but he gets up on a hillside and he watches to... Uh, I, I presume he's going to watch and see if fire falls in the city or something like that. So 
people's lives in jeopardy as a spectator sport here. But God prepared a plant in his love and grace, put some shade over him from his misery. So Jonah was grateful for the plant. But as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it damaged the plant, and it withered, and the sun arose. There's an, a wind. Sometimes when I'm out in California, the San, Santa Ana winds are very rough. But here's a vehement east wind. The sun beats on Jonah's head. And again, he despairs of his life. And now here's another question. God says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. Now, I'm going to let you finish the last two verses, but Jonah is a man of conflicting emotions in this season of his life, isn't he? Okay, let me ask you. You swallow a camel and strain at a gnat, Alex? Yes. Uh, I think that fits. He is angry about the plant and not having a shade, but he is okay. Uh, he would love for a whole nation of 120,000 people to be destroyed. That's I mean, what this it is says the... in verse 10. But the Lord yeah. said, aren't you glad the Lord does have pity on, on Jonah? I mean, yes. it's, uh, God, uh, it, Jonah better be glad he just didn't strike him and strike him down. Oh, I know, I know. And so 120,000 people, I mean, this is a big city. This is the size of a big city. And he wasn't just grateful for the plant. He was mad that it got taken away. But uh, the Lord said, you had pity on the plant, which you did not labor or make it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, more than 120,000, they don't know their right hand from their left, I've always thought that last verse just was full of the mercy of God. The mercy of God is demonstrated. And again, that is the last thing you understand in this story about Jonah. Hey, we're going to take phone calls. That number, 888-589-8840. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. Here's another of our core values. We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. And we thank you for your support. Next time on Focus on the Family, Dr. Tony Evans explains what it means to have a kingdom marriage. He shares about maintaining oneness, the importance of having a servant's heart, and how to rebuild a marriage relationship that's been fractured. God's wisdom for your marriage on the next Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah weren't the only Jewish exiles in Babylon. They weren't the only people under Nebuchadnezzar who knew that Yahweh expressly prohibited worshiping graven images. Yet they are the only three recorded in Scripture who refused to bow down and worship the golden statue. Though they were an extreme minority, they refused to go along to get along with the Babylonian culture. The way of Christ following may be in the minority today, 
it is nevertheless the way. Resolute is the disposition of the fully persuaded. In this modern day Babylon, be one of the three. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read these words. You have made heaven, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. Michelle and I have lived near the mountains, near the ocean, and now near the plains. And it's all just so beautiful and a reflection of the glory and majesty of God. Mountains, rivers, deserts, oceans, the animal world, all of it obeys God and declares His glory. We were made to declare His glory. When you worship God, you are fulfilling His purpose for you. Our worship not only pleases Him, but lifts our hearts as well. So praise the Lord today with your words or with a song. God will smile and it will change your day. For more resources, you can visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word, Bert and Alex. It's during the time we take phone calls, and we're looking forward to that, that number. And we got one or two lines open. We try to get to as many as we can. And I just looked at the comments. People are wanting to talk about Jonah today. That's that's great. <laughs> we love to stay on that subject. But the number is 888-589-8840 if you want to give us a call. But we're going to go first to Texas and talk to John. John, welcome. Hey guys, welcome. God bless you. Hey, I was a former Catholic theology teacher, and uh, I love teaching on Jonah. Uh, a couple of things I could add to help understand him a little better. Um, ooh, I gave all that up when my son was born, but that's not part of the story. Hey, the reason Jonah hated him so much because the uh, Ninevites, you know, pillaged Israel. They killed Israelites. They stole their crops, they killed their animals, they killed lots of Israelites, and every person that they killed when they were pillaging, they would cut off their heads and stick them on spears lining the road going into the city. So Jonah hated them because they killed some of his family. That's why he kept relenting so much. You know, there was just hatred there. But interestingly enough, you know how they brainwash somebody? You limit all the senses you possibly can. And if you go like a week... Of course, Jonah was in the well for three days and three nights. But if you go for a week, your brain really starts going crazy for any input because we always get input all the time. But if you cut all that input off and then you start feeding input later, your brain will latch onto it. Well, isn't it funny how he spent three days in the fish? Okay, John, you're starting to break up. But it yeah. is true. We did not have time. We uh, Alex had asked me if we if I wanted to go two days with it, and I said, "Well, we're going one day for every minor profit, so let's stay one day." So, 
John, you've done what Alex and I would have done if we'd have gone on the second day and lined up all of that information up. Jonah, now the Ken folks, if they were Jewish, they were, if they were Hebrews, uh, there's a connection there. So the hatred was there, Alex. And mm-hmm. uh, so he, he didn't want to go there. Does that mean sometimes we're called to go to places that we really don't want to go to? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Compassion, Nahum, the the biblical writer Nahum, wrote about the evil of the Ninevites and the Assyrians to Israel. So it's understandable why Jonah, uh, he had a lot of animosity in his heart to these people. Um, But, you know, i got to tell you, um, even we might have a grudge against somebody or have some ought, but we ought to care about their soul. Yeah. I mean, we don't we don't want anybody to perish. So, isn't uh, a big aspect of this book is the, about the change that God had to do in the heart of Jonah? It is, and again, make personalize it a little bit in place of just looking at the the prophetic part of it about the three days, three nights, uh, not just about the evangelism, but the personal story of Jonah and what God wanted to do in his heart. So, John, thank you for that, brother. Appreciate Mm -hmm. you, call. Let's go to Tennessee and talk to Glenn. Glenn, welcome. Yeah, um, so I had a question about where, well, Jonah was in the whale, Jesus, great fish, or whale. I think Jesus says whale, but for three days and three nights, and then I want to go to when Jesus says, when they come to him, I think it's a Pharisee, I didn't have the Bible in front of me, and they ask for a sign, and he's kind of like, you know, he's against them guys, they're always trying to trap him, and he, he says, it's the only sign I'm going to give you, I think that that I'm the son of man, I'll be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, so I'm trying to, so I take, I think that has to be literal, I don't, so I don't know what you guys think, but then the Catholic teaching says Friday to Sunday, so if Jesus wasn't three days, and that, would only, that wouldn't be three days and three nights, so if he didn't stay in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, then he didn't fulfill the sign and would be lying. So what do you guys have to say about that? Wouldn't he? He would have have to been three days okay. and three nights, not Friday night till Sunday, which is a cat, which I think is a Catholic doctrine. Well, uh, Glenn, thank you. This is a question that is asked quite often, isn't it, Alex? Well, and and it's in our book, by the way, folks. Burden. Yep. I have a brand new book out, not even out a month, but it's 100 Bible questions and answers from the first 10 years of exploring the Word and Broad Street Publishing, and you can get it through the ministry here. But yeah, we do, we address that question. And, you know, the question really becomes, does the three days and three nights, when uh, Jesus references, you know, he, he compares himself to Jonah in Matthew um, Matthew 12, the, they asked for a sign, and in Matthew 12, 40, you can read about that. Um, generally, scholars believe it doesn't mean 72 hours. The Jewish reckoning of time, part of a day equaled all of a day. So if you get part of Friday, all of Saturday, uh, Sunday in the wee hours, the dark of Sunday, the sunrise, you really can in the way that they reckon time, get three days and three nights. Doesn't really mean 72 hours. See, that's how we would think, three 24-hour periods, and it it doesn't really have to mean that, does it, Bert? It does not. Like the fishbowl that I just did, we call it three days. Guess what? We start at noon on Tuesday and stop at noon on Thursday. 
and yes. we say three, but it's not 72 hours, you know, and uh, not lying. It is three days, but not yeah. three whole days. And that's kind of, again, uh, that was an idiom that was used in those days, Alex, to, to express that. It wasn't uh, the 72-hour well, period. That You know, the, the recent Truth for New Generation conference we did, it was three hours on Friday, eight hours on Saturday, three hours on Sunday. Well, that's 14 hours. But for six months, we promoted this three-day conference, October 15 through 17. And, and like I said, we, we weren't misleading people, but it was part of Friday, all of Saturday, part of Sunday, and we call it three days. It's, it's a saying, it really is, Glenn. I, I really, it is. It does not deny Scripture uh, for Friday and Sunday. It really, uh, I, there, it just does not. So, but brother, we appreciate that. Hope that helps. Let's go to Virginia and talk to Gene. Praise the Lord for Virginia today, Gene. Praise God. <laughs> go ahead, Gene. Hope that helps. Okay. Hello. Yeah, you're on. Go right ahead. My comment was about the, how many was it that said didn't know the right hand from the left? How many hundred thousand that was? A hundred and twenty. Yes, a hundred and twenty thousand. Well, I was taught that that is talking about children. They don't know the right hand from the left because it's also brought up all these people who don't know the right hand from the left would be killed. And the animals, too. And you didn't have any mercy for the animals or the children because it was millions in the city of Nineveh. Alex, had you heard that? Well, uh, no, I hadn't. I was just going off of verse 11 of chapter 4, where God says, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern? Now, I I understand what she's saying. If that's just talking about the children, um, you know, does that mean there were, you know, 10 times that many adults, more than a million people? Well, it was, and, and, and by the way, um, where the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land, verse 10, was many, many miles, you know, from Nineveh. So he, he goes, and just to walk through Nineveh could have been a three-day journey. So it was a big city. I don't know that we actually know the exact number of the inhabitants at that time. Exactly. It was a big city, and I, I was reading about that. And again, it's really the 120. Normally, you would think that being children, but it's talking about they were so un, uh, they had no standard for right. You remember what our first caller said, John, about how his name was John, how they would treat the Israelites and how they had treat their bodies. They had no sense. They had their heart and their conscience had hardened quite a bit, but God opened it up. And I praise the Lord for that that change in that generation. Let me just talk about Nahum. By the way, it didn't take but one generation for that to wear off, and they would go back to their old evil ways. That is true as well. Thank you, Gene. Let's go to Alabama and talk to Phyllis. Phyllis, welcome. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I was listening to your discussion on Jonah, and um, it seems that I've always been disappointed that he was so um, hesitant to help and save others and to um, spread the 
word of God, the, the blessing of God, but I, I was reminded that I, I don't think in his time the Israelites were familiar with the concept of grace and mercy, and they, I, I don't remember prophets being particularly evangelists. It may be that this is a precursor to the evangelism we are called to now, but that did not particularly happen in that time. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Phyllis, thank you. Let me think. Alex, run, let's run through the prophets. Uh, they, Amos, uh, you know, we just got through with Amos, and he mm-hmm. talked about the countries around them and how they were held accountable. Now, we don't know to the extent of God's reaching out to them, but that was really the whole purpose of Israel. That's why they were God's chosen people. They were to be ministers of God's mercy uh, and loving kindness. Listen to this in Psalm 103. Uh, It's talking about God. He redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Yes, the the mercies of God was, I, I, I would say, Alex, it's all through the Old Testament. Well, yeah, and that great call, yeah, uh, ma'am. Is. Thank you for listening. Well, grace, you know, the Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth for, through Jesus Christ. But Genesis 6, verse 8, Noah found what in the eyes of the Lord? Found grace. Grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, remember God told Abraham through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, Genesis 12, 3. Um, Genesis 50, uh, Joseph said to his brothers, um, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I really do think we see the grace of God in the Old Testament, like Psalm 51, 1, where David said, wash me, thoroughly cleanse me from my iniquity, uh, purge me and I shall be clean. The grace of God has always been present because God doesn't change. But, um, you know, we we really do vividly see that mercy and grace in Jonah, especially those final verses. But I, I think if we really, now that we know the great big panoramic story of salvation, we, we see, we say, oh, okay, I get it. We see God's grace throughout the Old Testament even. Would you agree? I agree fully. I mean— even when we read Amos, and he, it is judgment, but he comes to the end and talks about Israel and its restoration, which is what? Yes. Grace. Uh, yes. It is all the way through it. Uh, thank you, Phyllis. That, we appreciate that. Great question. Great thought. It really uh, penetrated. Appreciate it so much. Let's go to Indiana and talk to Joe. Joe, welcome. Hello? Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Welcome. Hi. Okay. Not, you're from Tennessee, well, not uh, Indiana. I'm, not, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, I thought that yeah, T was no, an I. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's okay. Calling from Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, uh, you know, I have the privilege of listening to y'all AFM all day in my truck. Uh, I drive local here in Memphis. But anyways, uh, my question is probably a little bit off topic, so I, I don't know if that's okay, but it's uh, it's rare for me to have the opportunity to call y'all. Well, go ahead, man. Okay, so my question was, I've got these Catholic friends who are opening up more and more about their religion, and there's something striking about it. I just can't find anything substantial in the Bible to support their beliefs or traditions. 
um, this adoration for what we call the Mother of God, Mary, um, they elevate her to a status, it seems, that it, it doesn't seem right to me. And I, I really like to hear y'all's input because I know y'all are more educated on the Bible than I am. Okay. They, well, Joe, thank you. Thank you for interacting with people and and faith and, and talking about it. Uh, Alex, we've talking about the perpetual virginity of Mary and uh, them elevating her. She is a virtuous, godly woman that needs to be admired but not worshipped. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, in, in Luke chapter 1, uh, the Annunciation, when the angel comes to Mary and says, Greetings, uh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and she was allowed to carry the Savior and birth Jesus. But, you know, I, I will say, and this is a big point of disagreement among Protestants and Catholics, that nowhere are we, you know, um, scripturally commanded to worship the saints or pray to the saints. Uh, and while obviously, you know, we thank God that Mary said, you know, may it be as you say, behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Well, praise God. She obeyed. We have a Savior. But um, we're not to elevate her. She she was great. She was obedient. God used her. Um, even from the cross, God was concerned about Mary's welfare. But I, I really don't see anything in the New Testament that says that we're supposed to um, elevate her. Because it says in Luke 1, among women... But it doesn't say above women, does it? It does not. And again, uh, she, uh, I admire her. I love it when we preach uh, in, about at Christmas time. And I do the characters of the Christmas story. Mary is the hero. But again, uh, let's not elevate any human to the place of God. Uh, mm. Jesus was the God-man, so he doesn't have to be elevated. He's already there, Alex. Amen. Amen. We worship God alone. Amen. Hey, folks, uh, we're so glad you're listening. Why don't you go ahead and read, if you want to read Micah. We're going to continue looking at these minor prophets, but tell somebody about AFA and Exploring the Word. Most of all, tell somebody about Jesus. Jesus. 